Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of the Crypto and Muay Thai Podcast. I am very excited to introduce our special guest today, Chad Barefoot. He is the technical lead at one of the hottest and more interesting projects, at least in my particular opinion, uh, ThorChain. So I'm incredibly happy to welcome him to the podcast. How are you doing today, Chad? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. So very quickly, uh, you know, sort of how we always kick it off here, um, just give the quick you know, 90 second or two minute background on yourself, if possible, and kind of how you found your way into this wild world of digital assets. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I was just kind of working for a, a Boston startup and I just wanted to kind of expand uh, my own experience. So I decided to start traveling the world. Uh, and, and I went to Croatia and I met these couple guys who are big crypto fans, big equals. And they started talking about crypto and like what crypto was and blockchain, what blockchain is, all this kind of stuff. So I was like really kind of like just fascinated completely by it. And so I, I really wanted to understand what blockchain actually is underneath the hood. So I actually started to write blockchains from scratch uh, just to kind of like understand how it actually works. If you want to know something works, best thing to do is just build yourself from scratch. And you'll learn a lot as part of that process. And ever since then, I've just been, you know, messing about trying to uh, figure out what, how this industry is where it's moving to, how I can contribute, how I can help mature this like infant baby that we have of crypto that's just like so young and so that, that needs so much infrastructure and other things to help it manifest into a more uh, mainstream kind of uh, way. And so I met these guys, learned about crypto, and that was about four years ago uh, or three years ago, something like that. And ever since then, uh, I've just been like reading everything I can read and, and doing everything I can to. Gotcha. So it, it sounds normal, like how people, well, not that particular path, but kind of like the, the genesis where you get introduced and then you're like, oh, I, this, this touches on a lot of different things that I really, really like. And then you just gradually start going layer and layer down the rabbit hole, um, you know, for yourself. So I can't remember, obviously you've got a, you've got a technical background. So whenever you're first introduced to Ethereum, like what was it that made you that that took you on this particular path so ethereum and then kind of what you're building now with thorchain um you know there's similarities but there's a lot of differences as well so what was some of the first like things you got your feet wet with so to speak like within ethereum and then how did that gradually like form your opinion as to be uh sort of like make the transition to one of the founding members um uh, of of this new project, which again is similar but different in a very lot of in a lot of different ways as well. Yeah, and I found Ethereum to be just just conceptually so interesting, right? The idea that you can write a little bit of business logic and then deploy that onto a blockchain very easily, very simply, and be able to have millions of people using it or millions of dollars being passed through it or any of these things. That's, that is a really, truly uh, impressive technology that really expands upon and lowers the bar for an engineer, an uh, engineer of myself, for example, to go from zero to something functional, you know, practically in a weekend, more or less. And that's very, that's very impressive. Uh, I, I didn't get too deep into the Ethereum like development world because it didn't, it just felt too new to me back then. Like it just wasn't it quite matured. Like the dev tool search might work right there. Like the test environment wasn't quite like there yet. And so I started looking into like other things. I started working with like Lightning Network, for example, and making, making some contributions there and, and just diving into other aspects. Got you. Uh, yeah. I built a startup around like building blockchain gaming, for example. And I did that for a little while. I also, I just kind of figured out 
where is this world moving to? Where the benefits lie, and how can I contribute to all that? Got you, got you. Uh, that's that's really really interesting. So, um, and and that makes that makes sense from your from your background perspective as well. Um, so you did that. You dabbled in a couple different things. Um, how did you get connected? Um, you know, with the founding team uh, of Thorchain, where you, you know, former, y'all went to university together, or was it just uh, sort of another just random, random yeah. this type uh, type thing? It's actually funny, like, uh, I was looking for a job, like a year ago, maybe a year and a half now, somewhere in there. And I came across this blockchain company called uh, Sky Network. They were looking for a CTO and the CEO there and one of the advisors there were, were flying out to Berlin. That's where I was living at the time. And they were flying out to Berlin for this like Cosmos hackathon. Right. And so they're like, Hey, come up to the hackathon with us, hack with us for a couple of days in this hackathon. We'll check out, you know, get to meet each other, get to know each other. We'll see your skills, so forth and so on. It ended up being like kind of like a job interview, so to speak. And so the, the other, the advisor and myself, we started working together to build out like kind of a, a, a simplistic implementation of what ThorChain would eventually become, right? And so we actually committed the first lines of code at that hackathon. We ended up winning the hackathon, and we won a bunch of Cosmos atom tokens, which is cool. And so they like, oh, you know, we're, you're pretty good. We like you, blah blah. blah. We'll hire you for the CTO uh, job for for Sky Network, which I took for a few months before I, I before I left them and just went full time time at ThorChain. So I helped from the beginning. I was writing the first lines of code. Uh, fourth or chain as we see it today and uh, I was really fortunate to do so it's been like one of the most amazing projects to work on like I've ever been it's, it's absolutely fantastic <laughs> so so you know for for individuals that have been around like that like that story is not uncommon um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know where it's a couple like nerds meeting each other at a hackathon it never happens right this is a very unique story <laughs> yeah exactly and then then you fast forward a couple years and and sergey and larry are like ah, oh, yeah you know so uh it's a very <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's a it's a cool story whenever you get a chance to like hear that but also at the same exact time like the like history still being written um, as we like as we sort of speak. So with that, um, you know what is Thorchain? So obviously, I know uh, a little bit about it, enough to be dangerous, um, yeah. but it, it it's really doing something that, uh, quite frankly, is really needed in the space. But it's also from a perspective um, that is outside the norm of currently what's going on in the space as well. So before we get into all that, you know, what is Thorchain and then just gradually just sort of walk us through, um, you know, piece by piece, what you guys are building. Yeah, sure. So one way to look at it from a very simplistic perspective of what it is doing is like, it's like a Uniswap, but cross chain, right? Now you can swap from Bitcoin to Ethereum, to Tether, to Ripple, to Monero, to whatever it is. Uh, that you want to swap to. The network can theoretically connect with just about any blockchain in the world, right? So that's a really powerful thing in one sense, right? Because now you can actually have, bring chains like Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin or Ripple into the DeFi space, which has never really been possible before for the most part, right? Uh, at least not in a way that to me makes any reasonable sense. Uh, but another way to look at it, this is kind of how I look at it, like look at it, that we're building the, the highways of, of crypto. Right, because each individual chain, whether it be Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever else, these like isolated kind of islands that exist onto themselves and have no connection or relationship to anything else out there in the in the blockchain crypto sphere, right? And so all of a sudden you have this thing called Thorchain that comes along, and all of a sudden you can now move your your tokens or your your wealth or transactions or whatever you want to do 
from one chain to another chain. Predominantly, we're focused at this moment of doing swapping, so swapping Ethereum for Bitcoin or what have you. But uh, once we have those those kind of pathways built, those highway you know roads built between one chain to the next, all of a sudden this opened up the door to a new way of thinking about crypto that we haven't wasn't feasible or, or possible before. The only way you can move between one crypto asset to another crypto asset on another chain was going through some sort of centralized, you know, service like Coinbase or Binance or one of these guys, which inherently comes with a whole host of really significant issues, right? For one, it's not decentralized. For two, you have to, you have to dox yourself and identify who you are, give them your passport and your firstborn child, all these things you have to kind of give away. But all of a sudden, that won't be, that won't be a requirement anymore. And now you can just move your Bitcoin into some other thing. Adam, sure, whatever. Whatever you want, right? It's one of the benefits of ThorChain is that it is, it is an agnostic system. It doesn't really care about what chain you're using, what asset you're using. It doesn't pick winners and losers like Uniswap kind of does by just picking only Ethereum assets. Right. It says whatever you want to work with, you know what, we can work on it. And whatever chains of the network supports or assets of the network supports, it's not up to anybody but the community. The community can decide to add, oh, we want to get Ripple support. Okay. Then the community can decide to add that to the network onto themselves without requiring anybody like myself or anybody else from the team uh, at, you know, permission or, or any of this kind of stuff. It's really decentralization at its best uh, from my perspective. Got you. So I don't have a technical background, so I'm sure probably 80% of the listeners who are listening uh, right now or, or watching will sort of, you know, be from my similar mindset. But how, so give us the non-technical sort of explanation as to what is the sort of like sleek design uh, for you to be able to accomplish this. Because for those who may not know, it's it's very difficult because you've got, just like you said, these isolated chains uh, with different assets. And in order to sort of bridge them, it's not just like, oh, well, we'll just like bridge them. There's a technological um, sort of hurdle that needs to be crossed, which for to sure. date, the uh, path of least resistance has been uh, essentially creating a synthetic asset uh, collateralized by uh, a, a cross-chain asset without actually being able to swap the actual thing, which is what uh, Thor is trying to solve right, right. now. So what right. are the technical um, you know, advancements or what was the technical design uh, that you guys sort of stumbled upon or knew straight from the jump that would yeah, allow sure. you to kind of conquer this? Yeah, uh, so we're not doing pegged assets like you were describing of a pegged asset on, on Bitcoin on Ethereum. To me, that's the wrong way of going at it in so many ways. Uh, it just adds more risk with, that is completely necessary. But from our perspective, we're just going from layer one to layer one, real assets, no synthetic weird things, just straight up layer one to layer one, here you go. The difficulty came into, there's a lot of different reasons why it was difficult, but the one of the kind of last straws to, to break the camel's back in a matter of speaking was uh, what we call threshold signatures. And that was a relatively new kind of um, cryptography uh, innovation uh, done by a research team uh, recently. And so what that means is you can kind of think of threshold signatures as very similar to like a multi-sig, right? And if you're listening to from the multi-sig, it's like, you know, me and you, uh, your brother and my brother, you know, all have private keys. 
and we need three or four of us, three out of the four to, you know, to write a transaction to move some, you know, Bitcoin from our wallet to some other location. It requires a consensus between the, the four of us to say, okay, this is, we're going to move one Bitcoin from this, our wallet to some other wallet, right? And the problem with multi-sig is that it's not all supported by every chain and different chains support it in different ways. So for example, Bitcoin only supports 20, 20 signatures in a one signature, like in a moving one transaction, right? So that means that you could only have up to effectively 20 people, right? To be able to, uh, to, to in a decentralized way, control the funds on that Bitcoin wallet, right? It's limiting, it's a limiting factor that you really can't get really significant uh, decentralization, right? The threshold signature is different. Whereas in multi-sig, each person is developing their own individual signature, right? And threshold signatures, the four of you or the three of you are coming together to create a single signature, right? And that can function on any chain in the world, right? It doesn't require a chain to support multi-sig. It doesn't require a chain to have this, that, and the other thing. You now have a universal way that works across every chain. And you can have as many signers as you want, 20, 30, 40, however many you want to put into, the, into, the, into that group, you can now do that in a way that is universal with every single chain out there. And that's, that was one of the, like, the last kind of uh, uh, difficult things we needed to, to address. But even threshold signature has its own problems because the more people you have involved with a threshold signature, the more individuals, the more party members, the time it takes to do a signature increases, right? It's a, it's a, it's a quadratic kind of increase or exponential kind of increase, right? So, uh, if you have 20 people signing for something and you start using a special signature, it could take uh, about a minute and a half, two minutes for one signature to happen, right? And that's a problem, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a wallet that has some funds, but you will only send out like one transaction every two minutes. And that's like, whoa, that's real slow, right? That's, a, that's a kind of like a, to think about it. But we've solved that problem in another way using uh, uh, more of like a hot wallet, so to speak, that can do transactions, you know, real fast, you know. Theoretically, it, the limit is basically on the chain itself, which is the remote chain. I mean. So you can sign as many as you wanted and, and that, using that kind of medium. So that was one of the difficult things at the end that was solved by a, re a recent research team. There are other things about like dealing with the, the intricacies of each individual chain, right? Because if, you if you're creating a decentralized exchange, those kind of edge points, those kind of weird off kind of weird events that happen like reorgs, for example, on Bitcoin, adds a lot of complexity. And while centralized exchanges don't really, for the most part, don't really code for those reorgs attacks that may have happened, they kind of swallow the, the money they may lose. Thorchain has to do everything in a, in a completely automated way. All the node operators that run nodes, they're not, you know, clicking the, in their computers, clicking things all day. They just build nodes and then they just run on their, on their own. They don't, they don't touch or do anything. The complete system runs completely autonomously without anybody actually involved. We're completely removing the human element as much as humanly possible. And that's like a really important thing to do as well. Most people don't even think, haven't even figured out how to do that in many respects. Okay. All right. Uh, that, that makes sense conceptually. And I can see, and, and I've been one of, you know, I'm, far from a, a huge proponent that people listen to, but um, the, the, the layers of complexity that continues to sort of like get toppled on within, you know, other layer one networks, principally being Ethereum yeah. given, you know, it's got the primary uh, market share, 100% uh, like you can see how eventually there can be 
bad outcomes whenever you layer uh, additional complexity on top of complexity. So anytime that there's yeah, a yeah. very simple path like you guys are exploring, um, that's that's always going to be um, you know one of the areas of, of least resistance because there's less sort of uh, you know fault or failure points, so to speak. Right, right. I mean, you have to remember that like. A centralized exchange, for the most part, will have a multi-sig wallet held by a few individuals at the very top of the company, right? Usually like three or four people, most commonly. And they have access to basically like 90% of all the funds. Which is <laughs> just, just like mind-blowing to think about. <laughs> it's just like it's mind-blowing. But now we're, ThorChain has figured out a way to have the, the ownership of that massive wallet, which currently right now has about $20 million in it, or 30, I think it's $30 million actually. $30 million of like actual real tokens and real value held by currently 36 different individual anonymous people, right? They're actually all have control of those funds, but nobody can steal those funds in the way it's designed, right? That's like, that was one of the big kind of uh, innovations of ThorChain. It's like, how do you get anonymous individuals to control a huge amount of funds without anybody being able to just steal any of the funds in a reasonable way. And we have effectively done that. We've decentralized exchanges in a way that was never possible or viable before. Got you. Got you. So with that, um, you sort of touched on a little bit there, secure, like security of funds, but were there any additional considerations or sleek features that you had to input for security of the, of the chain as well? So typically, yeah. if, if, go ahead, I'll just, I'll just. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So, uh, so ThorChain has a, a, a token of its own, which is called the room coin, which anybody can buy through various exchanges or whatever. But that token is not just like a random token thrown on top of a swapping system like you see in Uniswap or under or Swap or one of these things. It actually has value and purpose beyond that, right? Its actual purpose predominantly is around securing the chain, right? So it ensures that the people running the network, the node operators of the network, have enough um, money at stake, right? That they bond into the network, they have enough money that if something were to happen and funds were stolen, it would hurt them more than it would the people who like are using the network to either put the liquidity provider in, like, you know, putting up your own money to the network to use as liquidity. And so even if your funds are stolen, the network actually steals back from the individual who stole it to refund back to the network, back to uh, solvency. And actually, technically speaking, it actually funds back more money than was stolen. So it actually improves the network's uh, uh, liquidity rather than takes from it, which is kind of counterintuitive, but that's how it works. Uh, it was a, that was a pretty interesting way of approaching it. Okay. Uh, that's the first time I've ever heard anything about that. My, my mind is, is kind of, is kind of wrapping around it a little bit, but I think I understand the general, the general strokes of it, um, as well, which is interesting. So one of the, one of the things that were sort of talked about prior from, uh, the utility token that you guys have, Rune, um, R-U-N-E, is that it helps the the network sort of sort of scale with it. And and in general, like kind of how you described it, that makes sense. That as the network grows, that's how more and more value kind of a, uh, is attributed to that particular token as well. If I'm yeah. understanding correctly. Yeah, sure. The Rune itself, uh, its value. What's one thing that's interesting about Rune is that it's not a speculative asset in the traditional sense. You, people can speculate all day what Bitcoin's value is, what Ethereum's value is, all that's well and good. 
But Rune is a little bit different in terms of how it's designed. It's, its value is derived specifically from the staked assets on the network, right? The non-Rune staked assets. So you can come up to ThorChain and say, okay, I'm gonna stake into the BNB pool or the Bitcoin pool or whatever it might be. And you can stake your assets there. And it ensures that the value of the, so you put in a thousand dollars of Bitcoin and you put a thousand dollars of Rune uh, to equal each other into the pool. That means that this is equal to that. And therefore the value of Rune is connected to that, that Bitcoin that you put it in a sense, right? And so the network is designed that, that one third of the circulating supply of Rune should be placed into the liquidity as a liquidity provider would. And the other two thirds is used by the, the validators of the network, the bonders of the network to bond up and use as collateral for the security of the network and making sure that the funds are secure, right? So as people stake more money into the network, the value of Rune inherently goes up. And you don't see that with, you know, a, a uni token or, or anything like this, but that is not, there's a disconnection between the use of the network and the actual, uh, the coin itself and the speaking. But Rune is actually directly relational to uh, people staking or unstaking or adding more liquidity to the network. That's a really interesting different change. It kind of makes it in a sense, like it kind of makes Rune like an ETF sort of, right? Because as Bitcoin increases in value, so does Rune, right? Proportionally to how much of the, of the Bitcoin is, is in the ThorChain network, right? Same thing with Ethereum, same thing with Ripple, same thing with, you know, Binance token or whatever else you got, you got in mind. All those tokens, as they go up in value or down in value, will inherently push and pull on the price of Rune with it. And that's a very interesting kind of uh, difference of how like this network works and what you see out there today. Gotcha. And I think, you know, from, from my perspective as an investor, that's something that is easier to wrap your head around. So there's always going to be um, forward looking. So asset markets in, inherently are forward looking, meaning, you know, say you got $30 million locked in Rune right now in the Thor chain. Uh, you know, the value of Rune, the total market cap should be approximately $30 million. It's not like that. I didn't check your price today, but I know it's more than that. So yeah. there's always going to be, <laughs> yeah. there's always going to be, you know, forward looking estimates, not about what you have today, but what they expect you to be locked up within um, the ecosystem one year, two year, three years down the line. But that is very simple math. If you can, um, if you can have a predictable multiplier, knowing that at least 50% or let's just say majority of the value is going to be tied to the value that's going to the network. And then after a handful of years, you can gradually start to build out those projections and expectations, yeah. which will inherently be incorrect, but it's an easier way for people to wrap their minds around or wrap traditional methodologies of value investments um, yeah. into this versus again, what you were talking about prior where Bitcoin and Ethereum, people still have debates today as to how you value it. And, and the best it is, is, it's worth what someone else is willing to pay for it is the best way that you can possibly uh, approximate it despite all the new uh, fancy metrics and fundamental insights and, and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And Rune's a little bit different. It's, it's more about what, what people are willing to pay for all the other assets rather than Rune itself in a sense. <laughs> totally. So you mentioned that you have 30 million um, staked in, uh, in the so, ecosystem yeah. right now. Total, yeah, total, total value lock. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Talk about so where, so do you know, um, like where primarily, uh, those, those are coming from, like not individuals or anything, meaning, um, you know, are you getting more institutional interest, more retail interest, or because it is, you know, uh, very decentralized or fulfilling the promise of decentralization without again, needing to dox yourself, 
uh, to be able to participate, do you have no idea? Um, yeah, we have, we don't really have much of an idea. All we know about is our like people we talk to directly, right? Investors and, and firms and those kinds of stuff that we have relationships with, that, that the team has relationships with. And we have conversations with them and, 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 and many of them are, are, are they running in a node or they're sticking to the network or pulled in, into the network. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, we have no idea who anybody is. And so when we have no idea and, and all the information about who's, who is uh, put assets into the network and who is not, uh, is, is technically is public information. You can pull it right from our servers, right? From the network itself. Uh, how, how much people are staked, uh, how much people are putting into the network, all that stuff uh, is public information in a sense, but nobody knows who anybody is. Uh, it has an anonymity thing. Uh, there, I think there is going to be an intent that that something like this will attract in, in, uh, institutional investors uh, more so than pre previous kind of similar uh, networks. I think that reason why that is is because uh, according to uh, a um, economic review by Gauntlet, and Gauntlet's the same one that did an economic review of Uniswap V2, uh, they're saying that the average uh, swap fee will be one third where it typically is for Uniswap, and yet the network will produce approximately like 10x the, the revenue that something of like Uniswap. And it's all because of how we're using a CLP or continuous liquidity pool uh, uh, mechanism for how we charge for fees versus the XY key 30 basis points of what Uniswap is currently doing. And so it, it, it effectively means that people will pay in fees whatever they choose to pay, right? And some people are willing to be paying high in fees. Like there was a guy, somebody or girl, I have no idea who they are obviously, but somebody passed through $30,000 of rune in a single transaction, swapping transaction and paid $500 in fee, right? Because for whatever reason, they were in a rush to, to buy a lot of room. Okay. And they thought it was worth it to spend the $500 in fees that they spent to do that. Their choice, they made a choice for that. And that $500 goes to the liquidity providers that put into that pool, you know? Um, so with having a, a, a more reliable income stream that I think ThorChain will have, uh, and having um, the better rewards, or we actually have block rewards, for example, whereas I don't think you have those, at least they, maybe they do now, um, but they didn't before. Um, it will attract in institutional investors to be able to, to put, you know, their, you know, 1 million, 10 million, 30 million, whatever money, money they have into this network. It's just a, a network that's properly decentralized and can give them a, a more reliable income on that money rather than being pushing something like, you know, sushi swap, which, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that six months from now, right? They kind of, who knows if it's a firework, a flash in the pan or not, time will tell. I'm not, a, I don't have a crystal ball to reach, to read into, but uh, I think the the economic design of ThorChain is much, uh, is really well thought through. Uh, and the economic model is just makes much more sense and will produce better income revenue for anybody who's, who's staking into the network. Got you. So there are staking rewards um, for ThorChain. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So there's actually okay. two reward systems for that. One is Please, you make yeah. money. You make money if you if you put some. Uh, you, when you, when you. I'm using the word stake. I really shouldn't be using the word stake. That's slightly misleading. But like uh, when you you when you take your your rune and your Bitcoin, for example, and you put it into the network as a liquidity provider, you're effectively buying a percentage of the pool, right? And any income that pool makes, you have that percentage of that income, right? So every time somebody swaps, you know, from room to Bitcoin, let's say, or Bitcoin to Rune or whatever, 
a little bit of that transaction is left in the pool behind and that income goes you know into your wallet more, more or less right that's one way how it generates income and as i was saying earlier gauntlet is saying that the the revenue should be relatively much higher than what we've seen on something like TissueSwap or uniswap the other way you actually make income which is really interesting is that we actually make block rewards as well so every five seconds the network actually just has a reserve of it's like a huge amount of room right now it's only like I think it's like nine or 10 million rooms, not that much. Uh, the intended amount will be like 220 or 200 million rooms, somewhere around that area. And that every five seconds, a bunch of rooms is dumped in each and every pool, depending upon its usage or how, how much in demand that pool is, right? So every five seconds, you have a bunch of rooms that gets dumped in the pool, which kind of makes the, the balance between rune and Bitcoin to be slightly up, right? a little bit too much room. But the inherent thing that happened there is that people will swap Bitcoin into the network to, to, to arb that pool, to, to level it back out again. And that means that Bitcoin is constantly being sucked into the network like a vacuum cleaner, just constantly pulling liquidity out of the, the markets and into ThorChain's network just naturally through the economic systems of the, of, of the design. And so you're just making money through swaps that's happening and arbitrage swaps that are happening. And then you're also making money by block versus dumping more and more room into your pool. All those things put together should yield really, really, uh, it should yield a very high reward for uh, your investment. Okay, that I, I follow that logic a hundred percent, and I can see why the the gauntlet analysis, so uh, that that gauntlet did of you guys, uh, would sort of root out that this particular economic system is way more straightforward and potentially uh, far more going to be far more lucrative than some yeah. of the uh, you know existing ones that are that are there kind of now. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can almost imagine if you look at the different equations or algorithms that were used to figure out what the fee is in doing a swap like this. You can almost see it as like an evolution that was happening. From I think uh, you know Hayden was created the first Uniswap I think it was like two years ago or something like that maybe three somewhere around there, and you can almost see like each each iteration even Hayden's algorithm he uses now is not the same as it was in V1 V1 was different than how they're using it in V2, but we're using a very different differently designed using our CLP model which just yields better uh, fees for the commute for the network as a whole meanwhile keeping the fees lower than uh, that you would see on Uniswap, which is counterintuitive to think about, but that's literally how it works. And you can do, you don't even take my word for it. You can actually look it up on Thorchain.net, right? Which is as a community built uh, kind of block explorer, if you want to call it that. And you can actually see what the average fee is, right? In, term, in terms of basis points. The BNB pool, for example, is lower than 30 basis points. Like, I think it was like point, uh, 0.2 or something like this, about 20 basis points or something like that. Last time I looked at it. So it's actually people are, are paying less than fees on that pool. Meanwhile, a, a pool that's illiquid, that has less liquidity passing through it, like um, Trust Wallet uh, token, for example, has a much higher fee to it. People are willing to pay those fees. Like that's really what people are willing to pay to be able to swap from Trust Wallet uh, token to, to Room or to BNB or whatever else they're trying to get to. Uh, the system is di different and you can, you can actually break break up your transaction to smaller transactions over a longer period of time to get to be able to swap from Bitcoin to Ethereum with even less fees. Um, you pick in the end effectively how much you want to pay in fees. It all depends upon how much time you have. If you're in a rush and you want to do it all like right now, then you'll pay higher in fees. It's, it rewards people for patience and takes money from people who are impatient effectively. 
And that money that it gets generated goes to the network, goes to the community. It doesn't go to us as a team. It doesn't go to any individuals particularly. It goes to the entire network and the, and the complete ownership of that network is the community itself. So, I mean, it's dynamic pricing. That's what you're, that's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another way of looking at it. It's dynamic pricing in a sense. And if you're willing to, to break up your transaction to smaller amounts over a larger, longer period of time, you will pay less in fees. You want to do that? Go for it. If you want to get your Bitcoin now, then pay more in fees. Up to you. Okay. Okay. That, I, that, makes, that makes total sense. So, super, super interesting. I'm super interested. Let's, let's do, like, walk me through like just the, the life of it or, or a customer persona, so to speak. So it's like, I want to go in and, uh, you know, convert my Bitcoin to Ethereum. And because of everything that you told me, I want to do it uh, on Thorchain versus, you know, maybe wrapping it and, you know, doing wrap BTC in, and then transferring it over uh, to yep. the Ethereum network. So walk me through that. How do I plug in? What wallet do I need? And, you know, and take me through the process, um, you know, from, sure. from how you see it. Yeah, sure. So uh, right now we've launched something we call ChaosNet well, about a month or two ago. I think it's two months ago about that, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, and ChaosNet, it was kind of the first implementation of real assets and real money. It only works with the Binance chain currently. So it's designed to work with only the Binance chain just to prove the economics in a real world case and a real world scenario, prove that it's, it is actually secure. Because you can test all these things in your development environment. You can test all these things in a testnet environment. But you really, really don't know until you actually put it into the real world and you put real money on the line. And, and that's what we've done. We've, put it, we've built a chain that you can allow you to swap uh, between BNB to other BEP2 assets on the Binance chain. So that's all that it supports uh, today in its current implementation. Uh, but we will be launching uh, a Bitcoin and Binance uh, chain later this year, probably by the, by the time of Christmas or so. We're aiming to get Ethereum done as well in that time period. I can't promise anything. You never know what's going to happen in this dev world. But we are actively working on, uh, we actually have like 80% of Ethereum done. We are like probably 90% or 95% done on the Bitcoin implementation. Uh, we're actually rolling out a testnet with Binance and Bitcoin uh, quite soon. Um, and that's going to be a really nice uh, thing for the community to start testing test an environment. Once we confirm that works and everything, we'll launch that probably later this year. And then you can swap from like Bitcoin to like, you know, BNB, for example. And then maybe a month later-ish or so, uh, we'll add Ethereum support to that network. Now, how you do it as to your question of like, how do I actually exchange my Bitcoin for Ethereum? This is, I think, one of the great parts is that because it's a, it's a centralized network, there's no specific way you have to do it, right? There's no specific UI that we control or anything like this. It doesn't really exist in the, in the future of this network. The protocol that we've designed and built as, as a team, uh, it doesn't really matter where you're coming in from, from you know, a wallet that you have on your phone or maybe somebody wants to build a web UI. There's a few people who are already working on that now of a cross-chain web UI to swap from Bitcoin to, um, uh, to Ethereum. I think it's called Asgard.exchange. I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, hope I'm right about that. But they're working on that now, actually. And so uh, your wallet, say you have you know, a trust wallet maybe, or maybe you have, um, you know, what's another good wallet that you like? MetaMask. MetaMask. Uh, maybe MetaMask can, can, can support in the future. Although I think we're actually funding a team that's actually building a cross-chain MetaMask. That's going to be so much better than MetaMask. So that, MetaMask <laughs> is, 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 is great. And I'm actually a big fan of it. I actually met the, the creator of it. It's a great guy. But, but uh, we're, we're actually funding a team to, to help build a better MetaMask that works across-chain. But anyways, but yes, 
any wallet that you may have, you know, even including your ledger that you have on your, on your, on your you know, lock up in your safe or whatever, uh, could be used to do this. And you can just, it, it's up to the wallet manufacturers to integrate to ThorChain. And I think they will because, you know, they want to be able to, you go to your wallet on your phone or whatever and say, okay, I have Ethereum and I want Bitcoin, right? Or whatever. And just be able to do that instantaneously on your, on your, within your wallet without needing to go to some website, without needing to log into something, without needing to dox yourself, without needing to do anything. Just click, click, done. You have your Ethereum. You're out, right? That's the, that's the kind of vision to make it as super simple as possible. And the network will support that no matter what wallet is. So people should, should get onto their wallet manufacturers, whoever that might be, you know, Exodus or whatever, to put pressure on them to start developing uh, integration to ThorChain so they can swap from Bitcoin to Ethereum or to BNB or Ripple or Bitcoin Cash or whatever it might be. Gotcha. Okay, that's the that makes sense, and that's the grand vision to where I really see this sort of taking off. But it's interesting um, to see like needing to build the individual like connectivity points with the different chains. How are you going to prioritize that? So obviously, you know, you're you're with the what are the larger three? So Bitcoin's almost done, Ethereum's almost done, uh, Binance, uh, you know, BNB is is one of those ones. Is there? What's the, what's the goal? Is it to, you know, always connect to the top, I don't know, top 20, which continues to change a lot, or is it just based principally upon, um, you know, demand that might be coming from the community saying, Hey, we need to have interoperability with, uh, Cosmos or whatever, whatever else might, might come. Upon. Yeah, sure. Sure. No, it'd be, um, it's a good question to ask. Uh, that's this is one of the brilliant things about it. Like, it's not really up to us in a sense, right? And we can choose to work on, I don't know, Monero next, for example, right? Which has a lot of value and benefit to connecting Monero to a network like this, right? To have that, to add that privacy element would be nice. But um, anybody can build it, right? Anybody can contribute to the, to the network. I mean, there's, there's already teamed up there. There's Polkadot we're, we're in talks with. They're building a Polkadot in, integration. Uh, Zilliqa is talking to us about building their own integration into our network. Uh, we have a team that is really excited about the product and they're, and they're going to be working on the Cosmos implementation, right, to add, to add Atom to the whole network. Anybody in the world can, can add an integration to XYZ chain or whatever that might be and then just open a pull request. You know, we'll review it, make sure it's safe and secure and all those things. Uh, and then we'll just pull it in. And then it's up to the community, community to decide, the node operators specifically decide what chain they do or do not want to support. Generally speaking, my, my assumption is that if you're a node operator, you're not really going to care what chain it is, because no matter what chain it is, it's just going to add liquidity to the ThorChain network, which inherently pushes the price of Rune up. And as a, as a validator of the network, you want the value of Rune to go right up, right? So even if you're like, say you're a person, you're like, I hate Ripple, for example, like you're a node operator, and like <laughs> Ripple sucks. I'm not, that I'm, not, I'm not trying to hate on Ripple, so don't send me any hate mail on Twitter or whatever, you know, but like, just picking a random chain, say you're, you hate Ripple for whatever reasons, and, but you're still gonna wanna add it to the network because it's just gonna, it has access to like, how, many, how much billions of dollars is worth right now? Like two billion, three billion? I, I can't even remember. But like, that's a lot of money. It's billions of dollars that can be added to this network and to, and to increase the value of Rune. So as a node operator, you're like, hell yeah, Ripple. I fucking hate you, but whatever. <laughs> it's just going to add more liquidity to the network and improve the, the, the value of Rune. So who gives it? <laughs> who gives a shit, right? So uh, it's, up to the, it's up to the community to decide what chains they do and do not support. They can add chains. They can remove chains. Um, but what's really important is that the, the team itself is not in control of that. We don't control what 
where things get, get added, where things get removed. And that's really important. That's a really important thing because we don't want centralization to be able to dictate what is and is not an okay asset. We want the community to decide for themselves. But they may decide an asset to be like too insecure, for example. There's been uh, ETC, for example, has had you know 51% attacks in three or four in the last month or so. So maybe that's not a good uh, chain to be adding because it offers uh, security risks in a way that could cause Bitcoin to be siphoned out of the network because that network is insecure, right? You might say that, make that argument, which is a valid argument to be made, whether the community agrees with that statement. I'm not, not to say that's my statement personally, I'm just giving a random example that, that people might talk about, but like maybe they won't add, decide to add that network because of security related issues, right? Which is, you know, maybe that's legitimate, right? It's up to the community to decide what changes to add. I think for us internally, in terms of the team, we want to get the, the biggest kind of guys first, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Binance are, are massive. Once we have Bitcoin support, adding Bitcoin Cash or Litecoin or any other SB entities kind of Bitcoin forks becomes really easy because we already have the code for Bitcoin. That code will probably work identically for Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash, right? So adding those chains will be, you know, real quick, real easy will bust us out real fast. But to add a chain like um, Solana, for example, which is a really interesting chain, they have a proof of uh, history uh, consensus mm -hmm. algorithm, which is different than Bitcoin by a good margin in terms of how it's designed, how it functions. So that would take much more time to add. And, and maybe you know, the Solana team will want to you know, add their network to ours very well possible. Maybe, you know, they would hire a team to, to, to build it for them. Who knows, right? But it's up to the community to decide what, what chains get added. Got you. That, that makes total sense. So one of the things, and we've kind of been like talking about it whenever we're talking about adding different chains to the network, because ultimately it's a creative to the value of Rune Token. Um, one of the things, whether just in straight tech businesses or even in protocols within uh, the blockchain space, there typically needs to be some sort of like killer app that takes it to the next level that attracts more and more capital, more and more people, users to the network, which ultimately it kind of becomes this reflexive, positive feedback loop. Obviously, Bitcoin in this year, um, you know, more so than ever, has really proven that people believe in its store value narrative. Ethereum, sure. two times, you know, it's been in 2017, it's ICO, its ability to sort of decentralize the fundraising process. And now in 2020, again, this sort of boom within DeFi, decentralized finance has kind of taken hold. And that has allowed more Bitcoin to get sucked from, you know, uh, you know, just holding it straight in Bitcoin, but onto the Ethereum network through uh, a lot of these synthetic derivatives um, that you're talking about, which ThorChain is looking to solve. Right. Do you think that you guys need uh, a killer app to be able to sort of like juice the skids or I won't call it a gimmick, but sort of like a, a flavor du jour where you're incentivizing uh, participants now with yield farming or liquidity mining or anything like that to be able to kind of like grease the skids to, to start that positive reflexive loop? Or do you think... Um, that the value proposition in and of itself, or maybe some of the adjacent, uh, you know, systems or businesses around it or demand for it is good enough. And this is just a far more efficient on-ramp and they'll choose it through that. Meaning, you know, if I want, if I own Bitcoin and I want to participate in DeFi, say ThorChain is 
you know, three times faster than me needing to wrap my BTC or using the REM virtual machine. And I don't want to do that because I've got to pay a fee to do that and then unwrap it and all this other stuff. It's easier just to go through Thorchain. Do you, if that's the case, do you think that is good enough? Um, kind of like talking about adjacent businesses or do you think eventually yeah. um, the chain will need some kind of like killer app to really start that positive feedback mechanism? Well, I mean, I would say just off the bat that like being able to exchange one coin or another coin across chain without any centralization, any censorship, no need for permission, any of these things. I think that's pretty killer app. <laughs> that's pretty killer <laughs> by itself. Just my two cents. But to answer, to answer your question though, I think, uh, um, Thorchain is initial implementation of just doing swaps back and forth between chains is, is kind of the, the first application of the technology underneath it, right? Uh, it's solved the, the, the kind of the significant difficult problem of like, how do we get a consensus of what happens across, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Binance chain and have Thorchain in the middle of it all kind of holding that state and having a, an agreed consensus of like what's true and all these other remote chains that by itself is like a major innovation that opens the door in a way that we haven't seen before. Right? So if you take something like a compound finance, for example, right, which is on the Ethereum uh, network, great smart contract. Awesome. I use it myself. It's a really great uh, uh, service. Right. But if you are now able to launch a compound finance like application, on something like a Thorchain, where it's, it's cross-chain, it's agnostic, it doesn't care about chains or assets or any of these things, it just treats them all effectively identically, you're now opening up that, that, that business logic to a much larger market, right? Much more than we can see on any DeFi application today. Because all of a sudden you have access to the, what is it, 250, 300 billion dollars of Bitcoin, the 20 billion, 25, 30 billion dollars of Ethereum, the whatever, all these things can be actually utilized in, a, in an app that is actually DeFi, that it actually is not centralized on a particular chain, it actually operates with any chain across the entire crypto sphere, right? That is like, you can have apps that have access to more liquidity than compound finds can reasonably have, or any other DeFi application on Ethereum for that matter, right? Building like DeFi on Ethereum to me is like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like it makes sense if you look like a foot in front of your face of like, hey, this is a easy, quick way I can write some, you know, 200 lines of code, which is like the average, you know, smart contract size, and launch it on Ethereum and then like get some things going overnight. But if you want to build something that's like that's fully uh, featureful, that it can actually connect more than just like a few assets on Ethereum. That takes a lot more time and it's like a lot more expense to do so. But it's a much powerful and much more flexible uh, DeFi application by a landslide, right? So anybody who builds a compound finance in a decentralized way that doesn't require you to be on specifically one particular network will just kill a compound finance, right? And so Thorchain is doing just the swapping concept first, but we have all sorts of plans down the, down the, down the road to be able to do you know, something like a die, right, of a, a peg token, right? But instead of being a peg, uh, a, a Ethereum-backed stable token, we can now do a Bitcoin-backed stable token, right? And you can, like, similar to die, you can 3x long Bitcoin using Thorchain network. That's huge, right? And it doesn't have to be Bitcoin. It doesn't have to be Ethereum. It can be Ripple. It can be anything else. Like, who cares? It's all the same to Thorchain, right? It doesn't matter. We're talking about being able to, like, allow people to stake 
uh, funds into Thorchain without moving your funds into the network, maintaining that your Bitcoin literally stays in your own wallet, in your own house, and never actually leaves your house, right? The idea of like staking, quote unquote, and having those funds to not leave your house has never been done before. And that's something we're, we're actively looking into like being able to do, right? And that's just keeping the security of your funds closer to home in a literal sense, right? That's like a killer app, right? By itself, like that, that's a, that's, that would just change how people think about how they store their own funds instead of pushing into a smart contract that like gets pwned two days later, which has happened in recent history. I think Yam was like that, if I'm not mistaken, right? And like, now you're saying like, you can, I, can, I, can, I can make money on my Bitcoin, I can stack more sats without sending my Bitcoin somewhere else. So huge. no, I, I think it's, I think it's incredibly powerful. So you said two things that like really, really stand out to me. One is the building power. So uh, whether it is your team creating these ad adjacent businesses on the chain or incentivizing other developers, whether uh, you guys have grant programs sort of earmarked to be able to get, to attract more and more devs, start building things on the network. Yes, it'll be slow moving at first, given we've mentioned it several times that Ethereum by and far has the dominant market share. But um, I think your long term perspective or the possibility of the total addressable market, uh, I agree with it, is far larger because if you do build a compound or anything like that that needs to tap into, that has the ability to tap into multiple liquidity sources through multiple chains that just expands the entire pie that much further and has the ability to sort of displant this dominant first mover advantage, which I posit, or in my opinion, is a lot stronger than what you would see normally in just a general tech uh, type competition. So that I agree with that. And, and, and also with the ability to stake your assets on chain without actually having to put your assets on chain. That's one of the things that I've really, really, really been interested in um, recently since I started looking at staking assets. So whenever you said that, it's like, okay, what about the ability to, you know, put uh, uh, Tezos and on Thor chain, but not actually have to move it. So you can still get your staking rewards for staking Tezos while still being able to have access to Thor chain for whatever you may need to be. I don't know if that complexity still or, or that line of logic like still holds, but that ability to, to like quote unquote, not give up that sovereignty of those assets, but potentially double dip through maybe even a compound like protocol as being built on Thor chain yep. to lend out and get an additional yield. So now you've got your staking yield and you've got your lending yield. That's a killer app. So yeah, yeah. I mean, theoretically, theoretically speaking, what you could, you could do on an earth like this, and this is something we're, we're intending to do is that you can, um, uh, Put your assets onto 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 Thorchain, like into the one of the pools, for example, and then take a loan out using your liquidity or your your ownership of that pool as collateral to create like a token, right? Like a like a die, for example, like something similar, conceptually similar to a die. So now you're you're making money on your initial investment, and then you have some you know dollars left over, so to speak, that you can then spend. You can go ahead and buy things. You can go ahead and transfer to your friends or whatever you want to do with it. And meanwhile, still make money on that original thing. Like that's 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 pretty big unto itself, right? And that's something we're thinking about. You, you can actually extrapolate, and you can do that on a chain that's got five second block times, right? 
and it doesn't cost $10 or $15, whatever it is on Ethereum to, to, to send a transaction, right? It's like a super fast chain, uh, five seconds per block. Uh, and you can send very cheaply, or very, very quickly to be able to send, uh, you know, your funds to one person or, another, or to, to move your funds around on, on ThorChain and having your assets on ThorChain itself, even creating, like even being able to create a, a, a pegged, um, uh, we could do this more, we want much if we're going to do this or not. We, we're, we're talking about it internally, but creating like a pegged Bitcoin on, a, on, on, on ThorChain itself. And then being able to transfer those things really, really, really fast. And that gives you big, basically gives you like a lightning network in matter speaking on like running natively on ThorChain. Uh, that might happen too, where something we're talking about internally is something we want to kind of build on, right? Uh, but the fact that we have the chain kind of bridges set up, that's really the kind of the hardest component of it. All these other features that you and I are now talking about, they're just like some business logic, right? A couple thousand lines of code or so. Versus like ThorChain right now is like well over a hundred thousand lines or so. So like speaking, like we've already solved the difficult problem of like cross-chain connection and all that kind of stuff. So now the business logic of what you can do on ThorChain, whether it be a compound finance-like thing, would be like a DAI-like thing, would be a Uniswap-like thing, that is relatively easy to build, right? Than what we've already built in the past. So getting to that point of launching other like services like those onto ThorChain, that bar gets is is it's not relatively speaking isn't that high. Got you. Got you. So before, before I let you go, um, I'm yeah. just curious, what are, what, what's the transaction costs um, uh, on the network? So you talked about the speed, which obviously is, is way quicker than, um, you know, other competitors that are out there, maybe barring like Solana or something, which is specifically set up for speed. Yeah. But, uh, but what's the, what are the transaction costs that you've, um, you know, seen whether anecdotally or, or through testing or through live, uh, you know, practice as well. Yeah. So right now uh, in, in chaos, now it, it has no native assets, right? Even Rune itself is not a native asset to ThorChain. It just sits on Binance's chain as a BEP2 asset. We're planning a migration from BEP2 asset to become a native asset on ThorChain in this multi-chain launch that we're going to be doing later this year, right? The cost of what that of what that costs in terms of a transaction fee, but when you're sending, you know, from one wallet address to another wallet address, we're still trying to figure out what that is. But I think in the end, it'll be determined by the community of what they what they want that cost to be, right? I'm not sure what that is number now. But what's interesting is that we're able to use you're able to pay your gas on Thorchain using any token that's on the Thorchain network, right? So like whereas on Ethereum right now, if you want to move you know, tether on Ethereum, you need to pay your gas in Ethereum, right? So you need a whole Ethereum in order to move your tether. But that's not gonna be the same on ThorChain because ThorChain has the perfect price oracle built right into its core, right? So it always knows the exact price of tether, the exact price of X, Y, and Z asset. And so we, because of that, we actually can figure out what, what the fee would be, do a little like tiny swap into, you know, room and then the room fee would be uh, absorbed into the into the uh, reserve probably, or we'll burn it. We're not sure quite yet, <laughs> but like one of those two things. It'll be like probably like, I don't know, I'm going to guess like 10 cents or so, but don't hold me to that. It's actually not decided by me. Nope, nope. Decided by the community at large. Nope, done said, held held to it, 10, 10 cents. So <laughs> you, you've, you've heard it here. It's uh, it's only 10 cents transaction fees on, on ThorChain. Well, no. the, the difference <laughs> is that, that Ethereum, you know, has really high... Uh, gas cost right now because it can only do like, I think it's like 14 or 15 uh, transactions per second, right? It's like it's like double what Bitcoin is, right? Which is really not that many, right? And, and maybe no. Ethereum 2.0 would be a lot better with you know 
this kind of POW proof of stake like migration that they're talking about doing. And hopefully it will be, right? But because Thorchain is a, is a proof of stake network uh, that's differently designed than, than Ethereum's, the number of transactions per second this network can do is far more. In fact, like the number of swaps Thorchain can do is like more than every Bitcoin transaction, every Ethereum transaction, every Bitcoin cash, uh, Ripple, uh, like the next like nine chains combined. <laughs> like like it, it can do so many, it can do a lot of transactions per second. So they, they will unlikely be a, a limiting factor, at least for the next, you know, three, four, five, five years, probably, you know, not, 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 nothing that I'm concerned about anytime soon, but we'll probably re re revisit it in five years, something like this. But the number of transactions second is much higher than we'd see on any of these chains with the exception of EOS. EOS is like crazy fast or finance. Finance has like 11 nodes operating at 300 millisecond block times. But nonetheless, it's extremely fast, much more than the, than the larger community even needs to be honest with you. And I'll be able to transact things much cheaper, much quicker than anything we've, we've generally used today on Ethereum. Incredible. Incredible. Um, this has been incredibly enlightening and illuminating for me. Is there anything that um, maybe you wanted to mention or that you guys have coming up that you would like to mention um, before uh, I, I let you carry on with the rest of your day? Yeah, I mean, not, not much. Uh, we have a blog uh, on Medium. You know, people should check that out. Um, I have a Twitter account at uh, C Barraford, C B A R A F O R D. If anybody wants to follow me on there, I sometimes tweet every once in a long while. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, people check out ChaosNet. Try it out. Stake some, uh, put some some maps onto the network. Do a few stops if you want to ch check it out. Make some money if you want to if you're into it. Uh, and we have uh, multi-chain uh, ChaosNet launching later this year. Which will be that's the, that's when you start to see Bitcoin integrations and other other really important chains. That's where we're going to see a real shift in, in the in the in the ability and the culture of crypto in general. Awesome, awesome! I, I can't wait. In in all honesty, uh, and it's not just bullshit either. I, I really found that this con <laughs> this conversation. Thanks for bullshitting me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would. You know, it's kind of my job, but uh, <laughs> but but in this particular case, like I knew about Thorchain. Um, prior had a again uh, good enough a twenty thousand foot overview sort of like an MBA understanding of Thorchain but yeah. um, and I was excited about it even then but obviously talking with you and going a little bit deeper obviously you know keeping my head above water um, I, I find it that much more interesting in what you guys are building so I can't wait to see sort of like the process and and how you continue to knock things um, off your milestone but. Chad, I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to have a conversation with me, you know, educate the listeners, the viewers and stuff like that. And I can't wait to have you back on the podcast in a couple months down the road to be able to sort of look back in hindsight sure. and say, yeah, we knocked that off. We knocked that off. And this is the next thing um, that we're tackling because it seems like you and the rest of the team really have a lot of momentum um, building behind you. So yeah, it'll be sure. really, really fun um, to sort of see that evolution over these coming months and quarters. Absolutely. No, I'd be happy to come back in a couple months or what have you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I will see everyone on a brand new, on the next time, a brand new episode of Crypto Muay Thai Podcast. Thanks. See you soon.